go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. I am alone tonight. Uh, Jason Booms is away with a professional commitment, but we wish Jason well. We wish him happy communicating, and we are sure that he will be back with the next fun-filled episode. Tonight, we continue our series of uh, interviews of candidates in the Fighting First Congressional District in the state of Maryland. This evening, it's our pleasure to welcome Mia Mason uh, to the show. Mia was the 2020 Democratic nominee for the uh, First Congressional District and also has announced that she is running again. Mia, welcome to Forward Maryland. Thank you. Thank you very much, Phil. It's great to be here tonight. I think we got a lot to talk about and wonderful issues to cover. So, so uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So, so seeing as uh, most of our our viewers and listeners are from uh, our more central Maryland based, and we're branching out to cover this this uh, very important first district race. Why don't you tell people who don't know much about you a little bit about yourself? Well, folks, I'm Mia Mason. I'm a veteran, friend, and advocate. I've served our country for 20 years in both the Navy and the Army. I'm originally from the Hampton Roads area and then came here to Maryland uh, because when I was leaving the military, don't ask, don't tell, kind of fell. Uh, we know where that went for the LGBT community, except it didn't cover me. Uh, so when I was looking for a place to become who I am today, I thought Maryland had the best opportunities for me. So that happened back in 2013. And then every time I reared my head uh, out of work or the military politics just kind of got in my way because it was discrimination, legal discrimination that was facing me. So that led me to help our community uh, to stand up against the president and another president that just left office who did horrible things to us in our LGBT community and across the nation. So I picked up the pace because I spoke at the Women's March in 2018, asking women to run and told, told them exactly what the demographics of our country was and how it's divided. And here we are trying to continue that message, unite our country. And I picked up the torch and said, let me run for office as well. And I did that in 2020 quite successfully on my own throughout the entire primary. And then of course, as the pandemic hit, you know, we had a small group of remote volunteers to help us out. Uh, wholeheartedly, all the way to election day. And 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 I and you did quite well in in the first election district. And and who knows how things could have gone had the uh, campaign been a little bit more uh, been a little more conventional. Um, but uh, as as uh, viewers and listeners might recognize, uh, the first congressional district is currently uh, occupied by the. Um, um, singular talent we know as Andy Harris in the U.S. Congress. So, um, you know, what, what, Mia, I mean, just to jump right into it, I mean, you're running again. Um, running for Congress is, is hard. We talked in the pre-show about the vast expanse that is the first congressional district. What, what makes you confident that uh, second time will be the charm and you'll be able to, to knock Harris off? Well, I think the strongest voice that we have is the community themselves. They all showed up, they voted. They voted by mail. 
You know, they voted because of our policies. They want progress. They want change. This is something that they need, that they've been stuck around in the last 10 to 20 years with the same gerrymandered politics, and they're waiting to have that happen. Even if I might be the first LGBT person to win a congressional seat in Maryland uh, for Congress on the federal level, it'd be historic for everyone to be able to get out the vote again to support us. And we're looking forward to that support in 2022. So I, I know that in the, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, one of the, something that happened, I'm sorry, but let me, let me start over. <laughs> um, fumble mouth this evening. Uh, so redistricting is a big issue. We talked earlier about the vast expanse. It is the first CD. Uh, for those of you uh, listening at home, uh, it goes from Carroll County all the way through to the uh, Lower Eastern Shore. Uh, there is no other congressional district on the Eastern Shore. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it matters to you how it changes, but, but how do you see the redistricting map changing uh, the first district? Well, I think that we couldn't end up losing Cecil, Hartford, Baltimore, and Carroll County, uh, just to make sure that the lines aren't like spaghetti looking like District 3. Or it could, you know, be something amazing that we could end up with more Republican districts where we could pick up all of Hartford, pick up more of Baltimore, and pick up all of Carroll. And then that would make District 1 even more red. But due to the population decrease in the Eastern Shore, you know, over the last, you know, five, 10 years, we're going to be able to see this maybe go back to the 1972 map where we're in Anne Arundel County. We're surrounded by the capital in Annapolis and maybe even pick up some of Prince George's. So we don't know until we actually see the map. But all the optimism is there that maybe the Democrats, because they control the House and the Senate in Maryland, can pull off an 8-0, you know, all comfortable Democrats to control in Congress here in Maryland. So I noticed with great interest in the 2020 results that uh, President Biden did quite well in the Eastern Shore, uh, winning Wicomico County, uh, Talbot by a narrow margin, Kent County, I think, by an even more narrow margin. Uh, what does this tell you about, the, about, a, about possible uh, changing demographics and or attitudes on the shore? Well, it proves that they want the change. They've gone purple to fight the opioid epidemic here in the last six years. Now they're just nudging their way to progress, new businesses, new jobs, and we're looking to provide that. And of course, that means that they have to cross over from you know red to blue. So how do you do that? Uh, how do you how do you make that quote unquote sale that uh, voters who have voted reliably red, certainly for this congressman and possibly for his his predecessors who. Uh, except for one, and uh, almost in my lifetime, have been Republican, or two in my lifetime have been Republican. How, how do you convince them that that they need to to vote for you and not stay true to the Republican Party? Well, just like any business person or mayor that's out there, if they need something done, they need to reach across the aisle. Tell them why it's good. You know, make sure that it fits the common good. Make sure that you hear from both sides of the people. This is why we have discussions like, you know, uh, discuss issues with Mia. 
Uh, and we want to be able to hear both sides and agree to disagree, but then also show what the actual win-win is or win-lose. But, you know, it's going to help the community, and this is what they need. Even if it affects them on a local level, we're running for a federal office. So that is the type of pool that we're trying to get is because we know that you came here to retire. We know that you came here to do your business. We know that you came here to, you know, go to college. But we also need to fix things like our health care, our bridges, our infrastructure. There's no broadband still. So those are the things that we really need to get done in the next 10 years if you're going to stay here as a resident. And guess what? The federal government is gearing up these trillion dollar packages and we're being left out because our representative just simply says no. And that needs to change. So, so, so I, I, I like what you say very much because part, part of my philosophy is, is that progressive policies work when it's, it's made relatable to everyday to everyday people. And it seems you, you definitely agree with that. And I'm very glad to hear that. Uh, so I, I guess I kind of want to run through some issue areas and, and kind of sound you out, if you don't mind, uh, about, about how, you know, you, you promote certain um, policies and areas to, to uh, people on the shore. Um, I, I, know, uh, I, I know from talking to a number of friends I have on the shore that, that transportation is a necessary evil. They love it, except for those uh, several months of a year that, that, uh, that all of us Western Shore folks and from elsewhere are making the, the, the trek down Route 50 and out 404 and everywhere else. You know, what's, what's, your, what's your pitch to, to those folks about, about transportation? Well, I'll have to say that widening is not the way to go. We've seen how that works with like 270, 295, 97, you know, 95. It was just not a good idea. Same with 495. You know, widening wasn't the correct answer, but public transportation was the right way. You know, light rail, train. We used to have a train that went across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and we're now working toward a proposal for a third Bay Bridge. Imagine if you could actually take a train from New Carlton all the way down to the Ocean City, and that would really help incentivize our folks to take a tourist destination, you know, on the eastern shore if they could stop into all the little towns along the way from, you know, D.C., BWI, Virginia, you know, instead of them driving and then clogging up, you know, a central choke point and then local roads like in Talbot County, you know, that would make a big, huge difference because once they get through there after the divorce on 404, they have to go all the way down to Salisbury and then, you know, sit at a bridge and there's only two options to get to where they want to go on the Ocean mm -hmm. City. So imagine just taking your suitcase that you got in from BWI, get on the train, the light rail down to Annapolis, and then go down to Ocean City. That's far better than sitting in five to six hours of traffic on a Friday night trying to get to your resort. So I was going to ask you how you felt about the third, the third bridge span, if it should be where it uh, co-located with the two current bridges, or if it should be further north, it should be further south. But, but what I'm hearing is, is an enhance is instead of making that a third bridge, make that, make that public transit or, or am I hearing both? 
both actually because the thing is is if we from i'm from a maintenance background i used to work at places like domino sugar the navy on aircraft and did all types of wonderful maintenance things so i have to kind of look at this as what is going to overall cost if we put a new braid bridge let's say uh and connect it from route 100 to rock hall or down uh in somerset or in dorchester from a maintenance standpoint we're just doubling down on the maintenance cost so if we put the third bay bridge we make it you know four to eight lanes all right on both sides make it nice okay it's affordable to put a span right between the two bridges and then you know put light rail on it or a mm -hmm. train that's the best option right there because then that infrastructure will not affect Queens Anne, will not affect Graysonville or Stephen or uh, Chester at all because it will be on the same public land for free without making any changes. Um, and that would really help the shore. It'd bring more people in, it'll help the community. And thankfully, places like the Kmart are gone, but now we got Target moving in, which is going to really help us out because people know that's a brand that they recognize. And they're going to come in and shop when they stop. And if we had a train station there, that means more people can grow their businesses here on the Eastern Shore. Terrific economic development opportunities on both sides of that of that potential span. My, my own take is that it was very short-sighted of this governor to advocate for it to be where it is. It's, it smells a little ridiculous. Um, I, I'm so, so I, I asked this, um, uh, ha having a daughter who... Uh, who uh, was a, is a social worker, graduate of Salisbury University, and uh, had remarked to me on many of an occasion where she was in school about the uh, the, the, the poverty in in uh, on the Eastern Shore, especially on the Lower Shore, Princess Anne, Salis Salisbury area, and and um, when I first hear poverty and 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 my my perception of that area is that it's the most south like. Of, of the Eastern Shore, I, I think access to the vote. So, so what, what would you do as, as, Congress, as a congressperson and how do you let people know that, that electing a Democrat is, is crucial to protecting a, right, the, the, a person's right to vote? Well, I think the biggest thing that they're gonna see is the investment into the Eastern Shore to vote. We did most of that by informal communications, bringing the message to them on social media uh, through our, our 2020 campaign. Um, so once everybody's vaccinated, our team is definitely gonna be back on the ground in these uh, low stricken areas that are also getting flooded by water. So environmental concerns for them because this is where the cheap land is, where they live, and then inform them that they have the right to vote and then work with the Maryland legislators to improve vote by mail. Uh, because we proved in 2020 that it was effective and we need to remove the roadblocks like the application uh, and everything else that the governor threw in our face, which put a little hamper in it, but people still came out and voted. Even during the pandemic, they stood in line for two to three hours, depending on where they were in Hartford, Cecil or, or Kent County. And, and they showed up and they voted. And I'm very proud that they did because they wanted the change and they were there. Even if there was a Trump parade or whatever else, they voiced their concern. And especially in our low poverty areas, you know, it's about getting them to get their vote in the mail so that they have that opportunity every year for every election and mm -hmm. keeping them informed. 
so that means making sure that they have money to get the bills and paid so that they can stay on the social media and find out our message and then continue on to support us because we're also trying to support our local down the ballot candidates to make them succeed. Mm -hmm. I, I wanna, I wanna uh, go back to an issue you talked about earlier about the shore and I really had no idea uh, with at least a Route 50 corridor I would have thought that there was some broadband on the shore already, but from from what you mentioned, there is none. Um, you know, t tell me. I mean, tell tell me about that and, and about and about investing in infrastructure. You know, in general. Well, most of it's in newer homing developments or established business areas because they've heavily invested in that. Uh, but like, if you go out into the farms and fields. Uh, if you go down in the back roads, some places you don't even get service. You have to be able to, you know, understand that, hey, do I have to download my Google Maps before I go out and go driving on the eastern shore in the northern parts of Carroll County where you can lose, you know, cell phone signal from one hill to another. Uh, those are the important things that matter. And when they only have $14,000 for infrastructure, to put in uh, rural broadband, that's not enough. That's like one mile of fiber optic cable. You know, that's enough maybe to do like one home for like 10 or 15 homes. We, we wanna be able to make sure that infrastructure is put in. And when we have companies like, you know, Tesla stepping up with Starlink and you spend $500 and you got faster internet than you could ever hope for, all right? It, it, it's mind boggling. You know, you can actually game on this. You can do web conferencing, you can do videos, you can do everything just as if it was direct TV or something else. But this is at the same price as what people pay in the city for high-speed internet. And it's amazing because now we're looking at, you know, why do people have cell phones? Why do people have this when they can just have this, you know, perfectly in the space type of technology that is now going to be there for them to use versus then having the dig to their front door and put in a wire. Um, so, so we have a lot of groundbreaking technology and that's part of our message to tell them that we're still trying to invest. We need a telecommunications bill to completely change this uh, so it's affordable for everyone. So, so one of the charming things I find about the shore is, is, is all the small towns and all the tiny, you know, one stoplight or, or I, I say half a stoplight, you know, because they only have the blinking yellow or no stoplight because they have a stop sign uh, communities. And, and I understand, you know, the very real concern that people have that technology is going to come in and you know, bring some huge corporate megastructure and, and break up. But, but I, I see that as, I see technology as actually preserving those, those communities. How, how do you feel about that? I think it's a great thing because, um, you know, some towns are even scared of the brand new roundabout because they are afraid that it's going to destroy their heritage. Uh, but we can have a living memory online. Uh, that's the beauty of the technology. When you take a look at all these farmhouses and these townhomes and these old captain houses that used to be, you know, for the entire ship to live on, uh, it made sense back then uh, for the family and the crew to live together. And that's something that can live online um, as things get changed because eventually it might not be there. We're seeing the impact of climate change today and it's affecting everyone. So to be able to memorialize, you know, historical preservation is super important. 
Uh, and the more that people are able to preserve their ancestry means that the next generation doesn't have to worry about it. We just have to be able to do that maintenance part of it and maintain that. Okay, so 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna role play for a second, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play your 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 typical skeptical voter. I'm sure you haven't seen any of these in your in your time, but you know you're you're sounding great, Mia. But you know you're a socialist. You know you just want to raise my taxes. You want to take my guns. You want to tell Purdue that they can't dump chicken poop wherever they want. You want to, you want to, you know, you, you want to just do things that are just going to mess me up. Or if I'm from Carroll County, you know, Har Harford County, Baltimore County, well, I can still go there with the guns, but doggone it, you know, you're, you're just a liberal, you know, you're just a lib. So how, how do you respond to all that? all that negativity and bile that your your Republican opponent just, just wallows in? Well, number one, uh, for the guns, Sunday's coming around, so that means we can go hunting. Uh, so you can thank your local county officials for that. I'm not trying to take away your guns. Uh, we're just trying to make it easier for you to get your gun by actually having a background check and everything else done. And the way I want to be able to do it is put it on your driver's license. So that means if you want to take your weapon and per give it to your kid, it's gonna be able to be transferred over to them with their driver's license or their ID, regardless of their age. So think about that. You got a legacy to live with and you have all of these weapons and everything else. I'm not trying to take them away, no need to. And of course, when you wanna say that I'm giving stuff away, I'm not. I'm actually providing a need for the communities to have a tax to make sure that your weapons are safe. Isn't that important? I love it. I love it. So I, I'm going to, Jason is not here, but, but his spirit uh, does, does permeate this show as it does. And so I know he asks a question uh, near the end of every interview that I'm going to ask. So uh, let's say that uh, you are uh, having a rally at, let's say, Chesapeake College. And it's, it's October, it's November, we're vaccinated, it's awesome. We can be around people again. And you're you're leaving the auditorium, and and uh, a, a worker, you know, let's say a worker at the college comes up to you and says, "Mia, what's your deal? What do you say?" Well, what is their deal? Honestly, you know, I I don't know what the deal is. Like, well, let's assume this person just wants to know about you. So, give them your elevator pitch because you've been there for two hours. You're tired. You're jazzed. You have that that thing going on we were like so many things at one time just you know what your, what's your retail political sell hey there i'm kind of like your neighbor as well i'm going to be here to be able to support you i'm here to listen to you number one and then raise your voice and amplify it in washington dc and if i have to make a phone call over to annapolis and ask them to help you out because honestly whatever your issue is or deal is may be able to be solved by others here in our own community. In fact, they may even be in this auditorium right now here at Chesapeake College. So let me help. And being elected allows me to help you even more. This is a good reason to vote for me. That is terrific, Mia. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest tonight. Before we do go, I would love for you to give people out there in, in viewer land uh, ways that they can get a hold of you and, and or get involved in your campaign? Sure. Well, I'm a candidate that answers my phone. So 410-94-MASON is my phone number. 
they can also email me at miadmason.us. Uh, that's our website. Or find me on Twitter or Facebook at MIA number four MD. Uh, so if you find that on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you're going to find me. Uh, and, and then, of course, you're going to see me actually respond. So there you go. It's just me right now until my team comes on board in the fall. So y'all have a wonderful day and thank you for coming. And, and, and I can vouch for that she is very accessible on, on, on multiple uh, uh, modes of communication. So, so she is terrific. Mia Mason, thank you very much for being a guest tonight on Forward Maryland. Please do consider coming back again. Absolutely, Bill. Thank you so much. And wishing Jason the best in what he's doing, making Maryland uh, move forward. Uh, he's going to be awesome. So uh, thank you out there in viewer and listener land. And uh, we will be coming at you sometime next week with another great edition of Forward Maryland. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.